Hey, listeners, do you fucking love music? Because we do. And if you fucking love music, please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash on the record music, where for just $5 a month, you can have access to our private podcast where we go in depth on albums, do extended album reviews, do impromptu shows, do live shows, legacy albums, lots of great content on the Patreon, on the private podcast, because we want to share our love of music with the entire world. Look, it's really fucking easy these days to put out a video on YouTube and say, here's why this band sucks, or here are the worst songs out today, or or this song or this album is just crap. It's all clickbait. And that's not who we are. We love music. and We love sharing music. We love talking about music. We are musicians. We are music listeners. We go to concerts. We go to festivals. And that's what we want to spread to the world. And you can help us do that. If you believe these same things that I'm talking about right now, please consider joining us on Patreon. We know you have a choice with what to do with your money. And we hope for just $5 a month, you consider supporting us so we can continue to spread this message and continue our mission of just fucking rocking. So if you would, please go to patreon.com slash on the record music and join us. Now let's get fucking rocking. Hello, hello, you are listening to On The Record Music, a music podcast for people who just fucking love music. In today's episode, we are discussing Cage the Elephant's social cues. Before we begin, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a five-star one while you're there, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at On The Record Music or on Twitter at OTRM Podcast. Now thank you and enjoy the show. They hand you a joint as you walk in. It's like having a leadoff hitter that hits 210. Oops, wrong number. You and I are kind of perverted. How's that highlight doing? <laughs> it's empty. <laughs> that song's got traffic. Uh, well, you know, Jesse, you're wrong because you can never have enough guitar solo. Oh, love it. On the record with Ben and Jesse. I am Jesse here in Minneapolis. And Ben, you're out there in Chicago. How's it feel? Hello, Mr. Drager. It is a hot one. It's a hot one. So you're uh, Santana, are you? Basically, yeah. Flashback to 1998. Thank you. 98? Ooh, you're off. It's 99. Ah, so close. See? Rob Rob Thomas, though. I do know that. Yeah, well, uh, where was he from? Matchbox Twenty. Okay, good. Okay, so you're 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 revived apparently by uh, yeah knowing that. So I, uh, off by a year, but I still got you know some of the parts right. Yeah, the summer months are they're uh, they're pretty hot, aren't they? I'm I'm pretty hot here in Minneapolis as well. We're getting about a uh, hundred degree feel right now. Yeah, we're we're cooking. I think uh, we might not be quite there yet in Chicago, but uh, this weekend we're pushing a hundred, so that'll be quite fun. Ooh, that's not too bad. So uh, speaking of pushing 100, how's uh, how's the music life going for you? Um, music life's going pretty well. Um, personally, it's going very well. Um, I was just in the recording studio with a group. Um, we just we were together for a while and we wanted to put out at least a song or two uh, before this band comes to an end because the other guitar player is actually moving to Minneapolis, ironically enough just after I moved to Chicago from Minneapolis. Of course, this would happen. Um, but we got in the recording studio, and the song is almost done, and it sounds good, and I'm really excited to share it. Ooh, that's going to sound pretty hot there. So uh, by chance, are you going to chase this guitarist if it is a number one hit? Are you going to chase him back to Minneapolis so I get a chance to uh, do you in studio with this uh, podcast? 
well, if I can get some some money and some fame from this, you know, sure, why not? Okay, so I will be seeing you in Chicago then, apparently. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, no, I'm not in it for the money or the fame. I'm in it for the fun. Hey. In the in the joy of it. That's I think that's what brings us together because we're both just like, no, let's just do music. I love it. <laughs> but you know, if I could if I could make a, a living wage from it, I'd take that too. Oh gosh, I know. It'd be beautiful. Yeah, so uh, I for me, uh, nothing uh, musically personally, but other than that, I've been seeing a couple shows this week. Saw the Raconteurs uh, down at the Armory in Minneapolis. And on Saturday, I'll be seeing the wonderful blues guitarist from Texas, Jackie Benson, at 7th Street Entry, one of my favorite spots in the Twin Cities. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, 7th Street Entry. Uh, there are fond memories of uh, good concerts there, and I just think it's... oh. Just one of yeah, those I've seen, atmospheres. Seen a good handful of shows there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's got the atmosphere. So mm-hmm. no, it's been pretty good. So I'm excited to get into today's album. It's been a long time coming. We're gonna review Cage the Elephants' Social Cues. Social Cues. Yeah. Um, tell me a, about the first time you heard of Cage the Elephant and when you got into them. You know, so the very first time I ever heard them was probably on the radio, obviously with um, with one of their lead singles. I paused on purpose because I forgot what the fuck it was. It was... Uh, Ain't no rest for the wicked. There we go. So I heard one of their very first singles on the current, which was uh, Ain't No Rest for the Wicked. And I didn't know who they were exactly, but I think the very first time that I really was conscious of them was when you actually introduced me by saying, hey, I want to go see this band at The Myth in Minneapolis, Maplewood, uh, Minnesota, I think it was. Um, and you're like, it's Cage the Elephant. I'm like kind of sounds familiar and you're like no play this play this play this and there's three or four songs in a row that were like yes I want to see this band and so that's how I think I was really initially introduced was through you actually so yeah that was a that was a fun little show I believe that was Cage the Elephant Foles J. Roddy Walston in the business and there might have been a fourth act on that bill J. Roddy yeah I know we got in we got in right I think at uh, J. Roddy like halfway through J. Roddy so there might have been a fourth one I think you're right the one that started yeah. before them. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty solid. But, you know, like our luck at any concert we've ever been to, we always get stuck <laughs> by one of those people. And, of course, literally the tallest guy in the world stood in front of us. He acknowledged it. Like, he felt bad because I think his the girl he was with was pulling him up there. Yeah. But, yeah. like, I mean, this dude was, like, six six at least. And then on top of that, he had a big fro. This like, guy this dude was huge. This guy was carrying Kramer hair from Seinfeld. This was beautiful. And there was another incident, actually, that was a social molestation on us. Well, more you than me, thankfully. Um, but that dancing couple, remember that couple that was dancing during Fools? And she uh, kept, yeah. that the, the girl kept dancing right in front of you and like bumping <laughs> into you. And it felt like they took up like a full, like, 10 foot radius and it's like right. you, don't, you don't take that much i mean we're all shoulder to shoulder and yep they've yeah. got their own little mosh pit going you're you're not a you're not a you're not a small forward in the nba here you don't need a 10 foot wingspan you know <laughs> <laughs> so oh, that was good but no it was a great show still one of my favorite memories and i think that's that was one of our very first concerts together other than pokey lafarge i think it might have been. It was definitely early on when we had a string of shows for a yeah. good few years there. And I think uh, in between Pokey Lafarge and Cage was Temples and you know a couple different ones, maybe Benny Booker and stuff. But when when uh, the lead guitarist, I think it's Brandon Schultz, 
uh, came out and he walked the railing out towards us. Yes. Everybody just collapsed on him and everybody was looking at him and you and I were the only ones looking at the guitar. And we just, <laughs> and right then and there, I'm like, yeah, we're both, yeah, we're both nerds. You know? That's right. Yeah. He came out, he walked on that ledge and I mean, he was feet from us. That was really cool. It was also his birthday that day. Oh, that's right. I remember that. And we sang happy birthday to him. Yep. So then the second time that I saw them was with my friend uh, Munstock. And you were in Bonnaroo, I think, at the time. Okay. Now, they were playing at the Target Center. And, uh, that's right. Alex and I saw them. And they had Portugal Demand open for them. And they had, mm. uh, they had the hype man working. And that guy was a stud. I think that was one of the better shows that I saw that year. That's a good one. That's I've never seen Portugal the Man. I would like to. Oh, I've seen it twice, and they were fantastic. But the first time I saw them with the Hype Man, they didn't have them the second time, but the Hype Man was just a pimp. And that guy just rocked the crowd, and it was just great. That's cool. Yeah, I've gotten to see them a few times. Uh, the first time I saw Cage the Elephant um, was at the Roy Wilkins Auditorium in St. Paul, and they were opening for the Black Keys. So it was what? Cage the Elephant in the Black Keys, 1-2 Bill at the Roy Wilkins, so a smaller venue. This was just after the Black Keys had released Brothers, so oh. it was on that tour. So it was just before they really got famous, before they started playing the big arenas. So I got to see them in a smaller venue, and Cage the Elephant was the opener for that. Um, and I was there probably equally to see both, because um, this was right around when Cage the Elephant um, just started getting popular when I first found out of you know, hearing Ain't No Rest for the Wicked like everyone else, probably that's when they first heard of them. But my dad and my brother were also into Cage and the Black Keys, so we all went to that show together. Wow, how does it feel to own my can- can- cannolis right now? Because that is awesome to be able to see that yeah. combo. Yeah, it was a great combo, great venue for it. It was it was awesome. Um, I've also seen them at Bonnaroo. Um, I don't know if I caught the full set, um, but one of the years they were at Bonnaroo, um, and they actually kind of have a special connection to Bonnaroo. They have, or used to at least, um, go there as fans and um, have camped out and just kind of wandered years when they're not on tour or have some downtime. Um, they've been spotted there from time to time. And actually, um, Matt Schultz was involved in, they did some rework on their campground and they built like little plazas. And at each plaza, they have kind of some themed like, event space barn something like that and he designed one of them and it was a happy birthday or happy new year themed and so they would count down to midnight like every hour on the hour or something like that and they actually did a surprise set um at that little venue um we weren't able to get in because by the time word got out that they were playing there um by the time we got over there it was just packed and the line was super long so we we could hear them but we couldn't see them or anything but it, they always do some cool special things at Bonnaroo. Ooh, nice. Uh, that, that's really cool to hear. Now, before we move on, I, I want to ask you, how do you feel about their live performance? You know, we have, we have, we've never done this in our uh, podcast yet, but how do you feel they are as a performance, a live performance band? There are not a lot of bands that bring as much energy and enthusiasm to a live performance as Cage the Elephant. So every time I see them, you, you're in for a good show. So I'm always looking forward to that. And every time I've seen them, it's just wild. They're all over the place, especially Matt Schultz. He's just dancing everywhere, singing. Like, I, I love seeing them live. Like, I think their live shows are better than their albums that they put out. 
I, I agree. I think that uh, they they give a lot in that performance. And uh, like you said, Matt Schultz is dancing all around stage, kind of all a Jager. And uh, that really pisses off my friend Monstock a lot because <laughs> he's like, he's trying to be Jager. But it's like, no, you know what? That, that's just like, I think that's just another way to express yourself. Just, it's just him being him. And yeah, there might be some Jager involvement. You know, uh, it, you just kind of take it as the performance as it is and it's a really good performance that they put on all the time and i i feel like their band is all in it every time and that's that's a that's a steal for me for sure for sure so let's let's talk a little bit about this album what's your your overall thought on it so with the overall opinion i tell you what this was a um a different movement for the band, I think. I think they have a lot of different sounds that they've never touched upon before. I think they went with a different genre touch while also bringing the Cage sound along with it. Um, if you listen to a lot of the Cage um, catalog, they have a certain way of writing melodies and, and uh, you know their guitar pick, uh, parts. They actually have a true sound, I think, that is original to Cage. And they, they added on top of it like certain um, tones of the 80s and Britpop. We'll get into each one of those. But I think they, they also went very soft. I think this album, when you, you kind of analyze it, it's uh, definitely a, a, I think it's meant to be a long arcing story. And it's mainly about love, of course. A lot of music mm-hmm. is. And um, it's the loss of love and, and the growth of a person, hopefully. Um or the loss of a person um, in, in other aspects. But this overall album uh, definitely stands out as, a, I think, a full... Um, how do I want to say this? I think it's just a full effort. Uh, uh, there's the, many great parts that go throughout it. Um, there's some hits and misses. Um, we'll get into that a little bit in, into our dissection of the songs, but... In my opinion, um, this one felt like a really good effort compared to the last album that they did. I, I would agree with that. Um, in a lot of the points you said, um, I didn't say them exactly the same way, but I think we're kind of on the same page as far as this one goes. Um, the first thing I noticed or kind of took away was this is a very personal album, much more so than any of their previous work that they've done. This one, like you said, like it's kind of that story. There's a lot of love love loss a lot of songs that you really feel a personal connection to or you know you really feel Mm -hmm. a stronger emotional connection than some of their other music which is also very good but this one you could really feel the heaviness of it um and they did really push genres here um they kind of brought in it's not an electronic album it's not a synth driven album but there's elements of it but it's still got that guitar driven cage sound behind it um so yeah they definitely went into a new realm but still kind of keeping that lifeline to to what makes them cage which i think you know when you're a new band or not a new band but when you're creating a new sound i think that's what you want to go for as a band because if you go way out there you're going to lose people but if you can kind of keep the elements of what people really like but also exploring those new territories and new sounds i'm always a fan of that yeah they 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 explore pretty well here even with their own sound and that's for artists nowadays i feel like they kind of just stay within or artists nowadays can just stay within their own realm of comfortable comfortability where Mm -hmm. they don't really explore too much out of it you know it's like they'll they'll do like hey i'll do this type of a 
twang to it or I'll do something like this. I'll just add a little bit more rather than actually changing like the actual thought of the song. And I thought there was some aspects of this album that definitely stepped away from their normal cage, um, or at least my idea of cage, I should say, that of how they sound normally. And yet they still kept like the melodies that are, you know, usually catchy or at least mm-hmm. that, I mean, the similar thing that they've kind of always kept. And it, I think it's lyrically actually a little bit step up too. Yep, definitely. Lyrically, um, every song in its own right is is catchy in some way, shape, or form. Um, after listening to it a few times, I started noticing already picking up on the melodies and even a lot of the words, and I kind of would find myself singing along <clears throat> as I listened to it, um, which I think is always a good sign of, of a good album. Yep, and I've, I, I caught myself like... Um after about the third listen, I had some songs stuck stuck in my head pretty much mm-hmm. throughout the whole time, and mm-hmm. it just it, it it didn't sound bad. Uh, yeah, when it's stuck in your head, right? And it's weird because this is like this style of music. It's not necessarily my favorite. You know, it's not something that I'm I'm searching for this kind of sound. But at the same time, I don't hate it, and like I like a lot of these songs, and I think a lot of these songs are really really good not my favorite style but i think it's still a really good album and i really like listening to it yep so in uh, speaking about your feelings about the album how do you feel that the album cover kind of reflects that feeling do you feel it changes it do you feel like the album cover kind of changes your perspective what do you think about the album cover in relation to the story that you think it's trying to tell um i i don't think it really connects to the story at all um to me, what I feel or what I'm getting when I look at the album cover with the, the little cowboy with the red and the the weird lips <laughs> and the hat and all that, um, it's kind of bizarre. And I think that kind of fits the style of music because the music is kind of bizarre. It's, it's not something that a lot of bands are doing. So they're kind of blazing their own path. So I think it kind of fits in that realm. It just kind of seems weird for the sake of weird. I'm not a huge fan of the album cover. I don't it doesn't do much for me, but you know, I, I don't hate it. Like I, I don't think it ruins the album or anything. No, I, I'll tell you what I'm, I, when I see this and the very first thought I came upon was you look at the person, he's in this latex mask with only his mouth and eyes open, very bondage like, and including the mm-hmm. leather, the red leather, very bondage like, but then he also has a crab on his arm. That's a crab. I think, it's just at rest and okay. it's like is that meant to be sexual i have no clue what the hell a crab is doing on your arm but it's just it's just weird it feels bondage like but then there's a texan hat the chains it's are you are you a texan pimp that's into bondage that's like that has crabs this is weird i have no clue what to decipher from this yeah and, i have no idea and so for the audience whenever we do album um reviews i tried my best to buy almost every album we do on vinyl and so I get the benefit of having the whole album here when you open up the middle of the album it's a picture of Schultz you know three of them three images of Schultz black background and in red just him in that latex without the mask and he's just standing there it's just kind of creepy I have no clue but here's the best part uh, when you look at the back of the album, all the song titles are 
going from top to bottom, not left to right. And it kind of sig- signals like teardrops, I think, for each one of the songs. And so mm. that's kind of where I saw the closest resemblance of the way that I feel about this album was actually seeing it um, with the teardrop uh, song titles. That's the closest thing I can get to this. But this is a weird front of the album, and I love it. It is It is an album cover, that's for sure. I think it's one of those, <laughs> like, I have in my notes, like, I'm not a fan but I think it could grow on me and part of me kind of thinks it will. And someday I'm going to be like, yeah, that's a pretty cool album cover. Maybe someday I'll get it. I don't know. Maybe I just don't get it. I got a feeling what your guys' uh, first single uh, sleeve will look like. You guys are going to dress up in latex, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't, we haven't disclosed that yet, Jesse. Yeah. We're just going to, we're going to sit on that one for a while. <laughs> All right. So shall we dive in some, uh, Social cues here? Yeah, let's let's get into it. The first track on the album is Broken Boy. synth and it's just deep and it just it kind of kaleidoscopes in volume a little bit and then there's this metallic percussion coming in how do you feel about that yeah it's it's very electronic-y and that's kind of where i first got the vibe of like this is something different um kind of an impression that i took away was like um a van halen kind of synth like something in jump or or something Mm. that kind of builds up and you you feel that synth vibe coming through so i kind of picked that um, so I, I thought it was just an interesting way and, and kind of makes a statement about the direction of the album as a whole. You know, it's not this is a this is a new direction we're heading in. We're not sticking to, to the old cage. And then everything drops in and it kind of kicks into that punchy guitar with the, the driving beats and the high energy. So that's kind of that element of that callback to the original cage, but kind of sets the stage for a new sound going forward. Yeah, I tell you what, that opening was actually a really cool way to just like kind of kick into it. And then it kicks into this, what I feel is like an 80s pop with a punk vibe. And the way, and the way that I kind of think of it is uh, television, the band, the, the punk band television from 1977. Um, their, their album, Marquee Moon, is very much this like pop punk angsty kind of tune. And um, I just really feel like they actually captured this broken boy feeling because when you really look at the lyrics on top of it, the angst is there. You know, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. I was raised with a strap across my back. Very blue collar, like against the world kind of a thing. But I loved how they made it more kind of surreal with their visuals in the in the lyrics here. I was burned by the cold kiss of a vampire. I was bit by the whisper of a soft liar. You know, to me, that's just showing like, hey, we we got something here to talk about, you know. Yeah, the the lyrics. I I didn't know how to feel about the lyrics of this song. It was to me, it wasn't anything special. Like they're just kind of bizarre, and I felt it was kind of bizarre for the point of being bizarre, um, you know. But I I kind of liked that refrain part of 
Like, tell me why I'm forced to live in this skin. Tell me why I'm forced to live in this skin. I'm an alien, not just an alien. I kind of like that. I don't really know what it means. You know, like, I think he's kind of, you know, confused. Like, you know, why am I in this, you know, why am I me in this situation? Whatever, you know. And if you look at the whole album as a whole, you know, the kind of story it goes on, maybe it's just kind of setting the scene of like, you know, why am I in the situation that I'm in? Yeah, I mean those those lyrics that you said. Tell me why I'm forced to live in the skin. Now I feel like, how how, I, how am I being, being together? I mean that's very ominous kind of speaking right there. That's why I love this song. I think it's, it actually does imitate like a broken boy. I mean it's just like it's not like a true man who's broken down, but it's like it's a boy. Like why do I feel like why am I in the skin? And I feel like it's an ominous. Um, telling of the story and I feel like it really fits this especially uh, when they talk about being an alien I feel like when you listen to the whole track as a whole it feels like you're going through a like a wormhole unless you're driving through space yeah and that's so cool I love that so it's a really good I think starter track for sure I mean that just kind of kicks in and it takes you on this venture and okay wow you're a broken boy where where else are we going right it's funny you said like wormhole um there's the transition part if i don't know if that's what you'd want to call it but at 159 it just does this really bizarre like they're going on the song driving and then it just goes like and kind of resets and it's like i don't even know what that is like that's just so weird but it just immediately stood out to me no i thought that was i thought it was a great one so i wanted to ask you so you brought it up um when you first heard this song on this whole album did you really think that they were kind of going in a new direction or do you feel like it was just new direction for this album only? I, I wasn't sure. I mean, for sure for this album only, you know, I don't, I don't think cage is the type of band that's ever going to stick to one sound or one style. I mean, they've kind of proven that over the course of their five albums now. Um, you know, so I think whatever comes after this is going to be something that kind of builds on this or takes some things, but you know, I, when I first heard this song, I just thought, oh, you know, this is definitely a new direction for this song, maybe this album. Uh, nice. Yeah, I didn't think that they were going to do this, like, full time. But when that first song popped on, I kind of thought, man, this is a nice little direction to go for the band. Because I felt that song was well mixed, as included. Um, I just thought it was an all-around all great song. And it just ends abruptly. Don't you Don't you kind of like that? It just kind of goes doop, 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 boom. Yeah. That's a cool way to end it. Yep, definitely. And a cool segue into song two, which is the title track of the album, Social Cues. nice little synth to start off huh how do you like yeah that? yeah i thought that was kind of cool um the bass gave me some psychedelic vibes something like maybe tame impala um, yes, you know, yes. it's kind of got a fat sound to it i really like the groove of this song no i feel it's 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 wonderful i mean that synth is actually very i mean it feels like it's brand new it's like i feel like i haven't heard that sound before even though i have and it just Mm -hmm. they crushed it for this song and it really feels good in here but if i'm gonna say anything i really do love um schultz's uh, vocals performance on this Um, yeah the enunciations are great it stands out really well while not being 
forced out front. You know what I'm saying? It's actually mixed very well with the rest of the music while having the synth kind of run in the background and kind of guide it in this little bit of perversion. And, you know, it's just wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Like, I love the parts like when he says, like, I don't have the strength to play and how he enunciates his words and it's just it's just really cool and in the message of the story the lyrics like i mean i think this is kind of where you kind of really start to feel the personal nature of some of these lyrics and you know hide me in the back room tell me when it's over don't know if i can play this bar much longer like i feel that feeling of like you know i don't know exactly where this is coming from but you know it sounds like struggling with maybe fame or success or you know being annoyed of of what has become of everything and and just kind of wanting to get away from it all but you know hey at least you're on the radio yeah that's a kind of a that's kind of a weird way to kind of end it you know it's like at least you're on the radio meaning that it's like hey this is your social cue you got you got the floor i'm not going to be able to hold it though you know there there is that one thing that i do that bass line that we did mention it feels it feels good doesn't it i mean it's but it's not very dynamic it's not melodic but it's in melodic enough where it does make you feel like you could dance a little bit for sure and it kind of, it kind of carries the song through it just it's there and it's just kind of repeating and, and driving and you know that's kind of like to me how i feel like tame impala does that similar bass where like you hear it and it's prominent you know, it's nothing super fancy, but it kind of just pulls the whole song through and you feel the real, like, deep core of it. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. How do you feel about the um, the abrupt ending with this one again, but then it has that little snarky, schulte vocal at the very end? I really like that. I mean, it's kind of like saying F you almost to it all, all the social uh, normal Right, right, and yeah, ending with that, at least you're on the radio, and he does that cool enunciation again, at least you're on the radio, and he, he's doing that thing over and over, and yeah, I mean, it, it's cool, it's a cool touch, you know, it's finding new ways to end a song, you know, rather than just a fade out or, or whatever, you no, know, I, I think they, they do a really cool job of that. Yeah, and that, that kind of plays into the cage sound, I think, he does For sure. a lot of great vocal performances enough where... He makes himself stand out where it's not just like live performances. He actually does show up on a on a record and tries to try to show his his performance, you know. Certainly. Yep. All right, so our next song, or at least it won't be our next song, but it'll be Cage the Elephant's next song. Black Madonna, the sultry Black Madonna. this one B I I really liked this song um, I liked it from the get-go and how they kind of do that speed and just kind of wind things up that's kind of got that touch of psychedelic sound into it and um, I, I just love the groove of it um, I think it's a, just a super cool overall song yeah I tell you what the, the sultry beginning with the the drums the bass and that little that little guitar in the beginning is just it kind of almost was funky to me, so I'm glad you heard some psychedelic mm. in that. But I felt it was a little more funky, with having some like wah and some delay on it. Certainly, um, but I really just I, I I felt like it it was a collected 
an unhinged guitar in that beginning. And that's the first time I really felt the guitar in this album. And it was yep. it was a wonderful kind of like bridge or break from the other two songs previous, which yep. also had different uh, connotations with it. Yep. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe that's now that you put it that way, maybe why I like this song, because, you know, I'm a fan of, of guitar-driven songs. And this one, it really starts to kind of come back into it. Although Social Cues had a little bit of that. But um, I really just liked the the catchiness of this song, the chorus, how it's sung and presented. Like it's it's almost impossible to forget when he's singing about Black Madonna. Yeah, you know this kind of this song itself does really stand out on the album as its own kind of weird thing, and I shouldn't say weird thing, but its own unique song. It kind of reminds me of how Michelle sounds off of Rubber Soul, almost very exotic, you know? Mm-hmm. And yep. um, it's still got that caged melody, but it's very exotic with the music around it. And including uh, Schultz's vocals in here, it's just a little bit different. But I tell you what, they they hit it here because it feels like a, a seduction song, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because based on the lyrics, it almost feels like he's waiting for waiting for someone to to kind of mature or to to grow up you know, call me when you're ready to be real or you know someone to come around to something um in the second verse when he says you say that you're at home all alone right now but in the background there's a muffled laugh as you spin the wool and pull it down you know so someone who's clearly lying about being at home because they're out somewhere because he can hear this laugh and you know pull the wool over their eyes you know that's like a phrase for a lie um, you know, so someone who who's not quite on the level that he's ready to be at. Correct. Uh, so there is a little bit of history behind this uh, album, and it's kind of just like how Dan Auerbach went through um, a breakup during Turn Blue, and you can totally yes. read it. It's exactly what Schultz was going through, and with just that lyric that you just uh, laid out, you can definitely tell that there must have been some. We're not going to condone this, but there's some foul play going on. And, sure. and maybe he caught something that he wasn't happy with. But it, you can kind of see that there was a little bit of foul play maybe in their relationship. Uh, the reason why it fell apart. But um, it's a, it, that's where I think the seduction comes in is because it's, it's seducing a lie rather than seducing somebody, um, you know, sexually. And, and right. th- 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 it's pretty cool that, to see that Schultz is able to play with that. I mean, Black Madonna. Think about that dark. You know, Madonna is supposed to be this you know, high, you know, this, this beautiful creature, you know, like Lady Madonna, but Black Madonna, it's like, yeah, you're, you're nothing, honey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think it's a cool song. I really liked it. Yeah. It it definitely, uh, it, it tickled my fancy a little bit. Nice. So let's move on to track four, which is Night Running. You mean, uh, insert Beck? Um, this song was, I think, the first song that I heard from this album. It was, like, I think their first single that they released of it. And before I even knew who it was, I remember I was I was walking downtown, and I had my headphones in, and this song came on. It was on a playlist. I don't know what playlist. It was some Spotify playlist. And I heard this song, and I was like, oh, this is cool. I like this. It's got a good groove. It's got a good vibe. Like, who is this? And I pulled out my phone, and it said, Cage the Elephant. And I was like, no way. 
And I, I texted you right after that. And I was like, dude, have you heard this song? Mm-hmm. This is crazy. I know. That's so crazy. So uh, I tell you what, this one is musically one of the most outside um, Cage the Elephant. I mean, we just talked about that, but you text me and we were like going, wow, this is weird. I tell you what, and Beck did a very good work on here. I don't know if he actually produced this. I didn't look that up. I apologize. But I tell you what, he uh, the history behind this was that when they first started this out, uh, Cage was, they had the chorus, no problem, but they were struggling with the verses. They handed it over to Beck. 24 hours later, he hands them back this song with an alternative version of this as well. No, can you can you can you bow down on the motherfucker? That's sweet, you know. That is cool. I had no idea. That's an awesome story. I love yeah. stories like that. It's I know. just awesome. Well, it, it reminds me of like, you know, the Beatles back in the day in sixty three, I think. They were invited to the Rolling Stones uh, recording session and they go, mm-hmm. Hey John, Paul, do you guys got a song we could record? And they ended <laughs> up just handing over uh, I wanna be your man. You know, like we're not gonna give them anything good. Here, Beck actually made their song probably that much better because this is actually a really good song in in the, in the sense that musically it is completely different from anything that I've ever heard from Cage. This is yeah. a an effort where they they said, okay, I'm going to change my melody style just from what Beck's suggesting. The rhythm section's a little bit different. Um, the pauses and the um, uh, just the what's what's the word I'm looking for just the in-between music so the, the stuff that's just filler music the filler music is just phenomenal sure yeah i i liked i liked the guitars in this um the rhythm guitar had that kind of cool delay and phase slash vibe effect um i thought that was really cool um and then the chorus you kind of had that fuzz guitar come in and you know, it's not a booming fuzz that dominates the sound, but it, it's present. It's kind of a cool way to to bring that sound and that effect into the song without being something that just dominates the sound. Oh, yeah. So, like I had mentioned earlier, um, the first song kind of ended abruptly, and it sounded kind of cool. The third, the second song, excuse me, um, Social Clues, ended abruptly, but then had that little kind of like ending vocal. This one just kind of stops in itself. How do you feel about these abrupt endings from them? They're, they're at least not running like, um, they're not at least running on like fades and stuff like that. How do you feel that um, affects your listening? You know, it's not something that I had given too much thought to um, until you mentioned it. Um, I definitely noticed it, but it was something that I think, you know, it's kind of like the old saying about like, you don't notice technology till it's not working. And I think because it's wor- like this abrupt ending or these different endings were working so well, it's something that I didn't notice. Like it didn't, I didn't hear it and go, oh, I didn't like that. Or I didn't feel how that ended. To me, even with like the abrupt or different endings, I think they still all had a purpose to it and kind of wrapped up the song nicely. So I never felt like I was being cheated or, you know, there was some poor way to end the song. No, and see, that's why I wanted to bring that up because I feel like they have ideas with the song so that they knew when to end it. Uh, I think a lot of times when we hear these, like, anthems throughout, um, you know, rock and roll history and music history, it's like they sometimes just don't know when to end it, so they just kind of keep it going, hoping that everybody will catch on. These guys were just like, nope, we knew what we wanted with these songs, and I feel like that's Mm -hmm. a really good show. 
um, to be able to do that. And so that's why a lot of these songs never go past 340, I think. And these, they just knew when to end the song and just yeah. like, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. So next up is a sweet little song called Skin and Bone. <laughs> this was I really like this song um, it, it's one of those that had a lot of power behind it um, because it it slowly builds up and you just kind of have the simple sounds and, and the verse kind of comes in right away and it's just him singing and the drums are going and you know, there's a little bit of guitar in the background and just kind of setting the stage um, as, it, as it slowly builds up and then it gets into the chorus and it just kind of drops and hits you in the face like, you know, I've been running for so long and you can just really feel again that emotion because he's, he's been running for so long it's just skin and bones at this point. oh yeah good points I, I would say what I really appreciate this song because this is one of my I think I think this is one of my favorites off the album uh, it, it's one of the strongest melodies on here and it has a really good music, musical structure and um, I just think it's well mixed as well as a full song as you know they, they they're able to break away from the music and really yep. focus on the vocals yep. without like forcing it. An interesting bit that I noticed um, when it gets into the second verse of the song, um, I don't know if this was by choice or just a happy coincidence, but um, one of the lines he says is "Left you feeling like an alien," um, and in social like cues he sings "alien" a lot. So I, I wasn't I wasn't sure if there was some connection there or if it was just a coincidence that you know. Twice now he had been referencing aliens or an alien in some capacity. No, so that's a really good point. I didn't see that. So you look at it; it's about social cues, and then the next title is "Ready to Let Your uh, uh, Skin and Bones." It's kind of like you're kind of being stripped down in the social cues of of society. So you do feel like an alien. You now you're kind of mm-hmm. naked almost, and that that kind of be a, kind of a cool yeah. little connotation right there. One of the other things that I really felt like is that. I kind of feel like this would have been a really good second mm. song of the album. I, I I feel like this was a very strong piece that kind of differentiated. I think this would have been a nice just little yeah. yeah little blip in the front where it's like ooh so this is the direction you're going. I think it really would have made another a better second song. Yeah, kind of now that in. you mentioned that that totally would work. I think this would be a great song because it's really powerful and it's got a strong catchy chorus. And it, it's something that it's one of those that you hear it and you're like, oh, yeah, this is a song that I'm going to remember and because it's so early on the album. You're just more likely to listen to it more because that's just kind of how it works. Yeah. And the reason the main reason I, I kind of say that is that I do feel like the production around it sounds much different than the very first four songs that we mm-hmm. listen to. And I really feel like it would have broken those first four songs up. I do think that there is a little bit of a hindrance in this album with those first four songs kind of being produced in a similar sure. tone. Kind of. This song stands out so much. That's why I think that's, that's why it should be in the second song. Because it is that much more different sound. And then you get that ending of, you know, let the love light guide me home, and it's just like all of a sudden he, you know, kind of fades, and it's, uh, the music fades, and it says, "Well, let me, let the love light guide mm-hmm. me home again." I mean, that's kind of a nice little lead into like another like social cues would have been a nice little one to kind of roll. Into oh yeah, yeah, with that. After that's that, a good I point. Think. 
So let's move on to, yeah, Turning let's move on to track number six, which is Ready to Let Go. Ready to Let Go. So earlier you mentioned that you thought Night Running was the first single, and uh, it actually was not. Okay, Ready I, knew, to let go I knew this was, was also a single. I wasn't sure which one was before the other. <laughs> so you got me. Yep, so this one came out first. So uh, eat that in Chicago, even though you got my favorite Greek restaurant, which you oh. probably can go to anytime. But, yeah. But I love this one. This one has a little bit of an emphasis on uh, a synth just as a, as a light tone. So that really actually opened up the door of where they were going, but we just never really recognized it because I do think this song is very Cage-like from the early days. And so that's why I think the lead single was a little misleading, but it also does show connotations of where it's going. Yeah. The the first thing that stood out to me when I heard this was uh, I got a lot of Western vibes, and, and maybe that's like where the cowboy hat comes into play. Um, this just seemed with that guitar, and it's playing, and it's got the, the tremolo effect on that guitar. And it, it just kind of feels like someone should be galloping in on a horse as, as this part plays. That's just the vibe I took right off from that intro. I tell you what, one of the things that uh, lyrically, uh, this definitely, you know, kind of, it's jagged. You know, I'm, I'm ready to let go is, is more of a Schultz kind of telling or convincing himself that he's ready to move on from this divorce. And it, it, it shows that he's kind of still, I think, pissed yeah. about this whole situation. Um, but you just kind of tell, it, it's not angsty. It's just, it really feels like it's jagged talking like, I'm going to get over you and I'm yeah, you can definitely feel some of the anger in this song and in the other songs. Like, you know, there, there's a softness to a lot of them, but there's also a lot of anger. This one's no different. Yeah, and one of the cool things, there's that little, that little chinking of the guitar. So it's like every other, it's like I think it's every other beat. Uh, that guitar just kind of feels like it's a, like the clock winding down. Schultz too, in order to get over this. I think that that's kind of what I heard when I was listening to it, and um, I, I always like rhythm guitars. I can kind of do that, you know. It just adds that little bit of yeah, excitement they, to the song. They do that a lot, um, in some way, shape, or form, because they Cage the Elephant's never been known for its awesome guitar playing. You know, they're everyone's talented, but they're not a band that's going to bust into. Uh, a 16 bar solo or you know something even longer and just shred it up but they do a really good job with the rhythm guitar and the guitar as a part of the whole you know not dominating the song but complementing and building and being a part of the song and that's this is a great example of that yeah they kind of just play around with all sounds together and kind of collaborate with them and it may not be the most deep sound in the in, in music history, but at least it works really well with, for what they want to push out for you know right. a three minute tune. Also, in this song, um, it's it's another one of those really really catchy choruses. That I think it, it's easy to remember, easy to sing along. Um, you know, don't you worry, baby. No sense trying to change it. I'm gonna strike these matches. Never had control. You know, and again, these lyrics are are calling out. What this whole album's been about, um, but just going that route. I'm ready to let go. No, was I fooling myself? I'm gonna spread these ashes. Never had control. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to let go. I'm finally ready just to to be done. 
So I think that's the perfect transition into the next song because you're finished with this song. Or no, that was Schultz. <laughs> I'm ready to let go okay. of this song and go on to track number no. seven, which is House of Glass. <laughs> you but this pretty vocal and melody is just really awesome and it's also got kind of a punk musical sound in the background very much like how i think uh, cage did in their very first couple albums um it it's not it's not like gritty uh, produced but there is a sound of grit to it where it's it's not as clean as the other recordings and that's what i really love about this but that vocal yeah, delivery it's, is pretty it's a sweet. dirtier song um I also agree. This is very reminiscent of, of some older Cage, um, kind of that punchy guitar, that sharp four four beat on the drums, and then just that chorus that kind of erupts into a frenzy. You have everything just going crazy, and then they come in and, and kind of round out the chorus, and then just jump right back in the verse. And he's kind of like yeah. his lyrics are just kind of flowing out. You know, he's almost kind of speaking more than he's singing, and, and that to me is just kind of old classic Cage. Yeah, it, it's it's a really good delivery. I kind of really appreciate the uh, the small little uh, guitar solo in the in the uh, middle part, where it's kind of like a tangle between the guitar and the synth. The only problem I had was that the guitar was pretty pretty uh, low mixed, and so you don't really get a lot of it. Where I feel like if you just raise it up just a little bit, it shows the tangle a little bit more. But when you listen on headphones, you can really hear that kind of a yeah. play. Yeah, and this is one of the first songs. There is a little bit of a solo, too, in, in Ready to Let Go, the song before this, but this is kind of, these two songs now are kind of the first songs where you really start to hear the guitar featured more so in the front than compared to the other songs. Oh, definitely, yeah. This is this is definitely a driver for guitars, finally, for once. And I feel like the bass guitar, finally, of during this first uh, few songs... The bass guitar has actually been the, the hero of the guitars. Yeah, the bass is kind of the unsung hero of, of this whole album, really. And it just kind of, this one just kind of comes in and it's it's there and carries the song as well. Yeah, and it, they, they, they try to make it danceable. I think they're trying to hit a different audience a little bit with a couple of these. But it's 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 not very deep bass melodic playing, but I mean, it's, it's enough to kind of say, hey, they're mixing it, at least try to right, make it right, sound good. Definitely. And so... When you uh, look at the song, it's actually uh, the end of side one if you're playing on vinyl. And our next song, when we flip to side two, Benjamin, we have Love's the Only Way. Definitely, definitely a change of pace. Um, I'm glad to hear that this is side two because in my notes, um, I wrote probably side two. <laughs> well, you know so, your vinyl then, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, most part of it's because it's, you know, about halfway through the album. But at the same time, like, it's just that very big change of pace, um, you know, kind of takes everything in a whole new direction. 
because you have the you have the strings kind of bringing it in, almost kind of like the Beatles, you know, something the Beatles might do. Um, and then when they get into the ooze later on in the song, that same kind of vibe. Um, but this is the first time where the guitar is really, at least the rhythm guitar, is kind of front and center. It's kind of got that jazz, um, finger-picking kind of song playing while he sings over top of it in the first verse. Yep, I felt that, that jazzy feeling too. And one of the things is about this song, it really is a beautiful, dreamy, symphonic, sequin kind of a sound. And it, it's almost old-timey, like that jazz feeling that you're talking about. Um, one of the better sounds that I heard in this and I, I, I just love how different artists can create sounds and make it sound something differently is that the heavy breathing in the beginning kind of sounded like a film projector to me like it's like kind of that old like hey we're starting this film here so now you're about to see the real story behind mm-hmm. this album mm-hmm. so it's second side um, it this really does I think project like how the end of the album kind of comes together and so I think yeah. that's really cool Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can really you can really feel the emotion in this song through the words. Just when he sings, there's got to be a, a there's got to be a place where love's love is the only way, right? Yeah. Um, he's just kind of singing that, you know. And part you know part of me, if you look at it in the context of of the rest of the album, you know, he's feeling like there's you know there's got to be a spot where there's love. It's almost out of desperation, you know. And you can also look at it through the lens of just the world where. You know, there's a lot of hate and anger in our in our world right now, you know, and you could also kind of see it. That's also kind of how I took this song was looking at it through that lens of like, you know, there's got to be a place where love's the only way. Like we don't have to just be angry and hateful with each other, you know, so I which is cool because you can take a song however you want it. You know, so I kind of see the, the two different meanings going on in this song at the same time. No, oh, yeah, I can I can see that that way, the way that you pointed out. I definitely would think it's more. I, I, I find him like hurting quite a bit from this relationship. I would definitely aim it mm-hmm. because the way that the strings are involved with this, with the subtle, you know, synth and the, the light guitar work and the, the very light vocals that he works with, I think it's meant to be more very light kind of focused. And yep. if it, it sounds kind of desperate in the, in the sense of like, I, I'm reaching for you. There is only love in this world. You know, it, right. that's the way we should think. And I think it's kind of one of those efforts, uh, the way that I saw it. But there's also that lumbering bass that kind of like chunks around in there. And that kind of that kind of makes me feel like that's where the sadness kind of comes in. Mm, interesting. That's a good point. And now we move on to our next song because love's the only way. We got to talk about war. Because people love war, apparently. That's right. Track number nine is The War Is Over. This song, it, it after you get Love's The Only Way out of the way, you know, with that kind of slow side two start to kind of bring on something new it, the war is over this song just kind of brings the energy right back into it um it initially kind of reminded me of something you might hear on turn blue um it's kind of got that black keys organ kind of vibe going with the drums driving right behind it um so i thought that was i thought that was kind of a cool you know whether that's a nod or you know pulling that influence um i definitely noticed that and i thought i really appreciated that 
Yeah, because I, I feel the same way. I, I the, the rhythm, I should talk about. The, the rhythm section, I think, is a very good focus on this uh, uh, this cut. Um, but it's also quite basic. That's where I kind of get the uh, the Black Keys vibe that you might be talking about. But mm. it just felt basic, but it was also the main focus. And it really is produced very well, I think. it's mm. It really stands out uh, as the best part of this song, in my opinion. Um, I do believe that this whole song is very nicely produced in comparison to what we saw in the very first four songs or so. Where sure. I, I feel like this has taken a step back where it's not gritty, it's not clean. It's it, it's it's kind of like one of those basic produced songs, but it, it just sounds good. Yep. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, the lyrics on this one, I kind of took kind of in the same way as Love's the Only Way. Um, you can kind of hear it, you know, through the context of the album, you know, being about like this relationship and, and the war is over. Um, but if, if you look at the lyrics of the chorus, you can build your walls, build into the sky. One day you will find love was on both sides. You know, so from the context of relationship, of course, like you can build your walls super high and, you know, love will eventually tear it down. And, and you'll find in the end that like the people on the both sides of the wall were they had love in their hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think if you look at it in like a political realm, you know, you to really get technical, like just because you build a wall or try to build a wall doesn't mean, you know, that people on either side are good or bad. Like there's a lot of love on both sides, but you know, through the context of the relationship, you know, it makes sense of like this war is done, you know? And I think when we look back on it a long time from now, we'll realize like love was on both sides of this war that we were fighting. Now, do you think that happens? uh, So I, I didn't even think of it that way. So I'm glad that you brought that up. But do you think that also plays into the aspect of our, society in a bit of a way i mean is it is he kind of saying that the war we've been fighting for so long we don't need to be or what do you feel does it retract to society or just politics um that's that's a good question because i think that's when it gets tricky with the war is over because i mean if you look at in our context it would seem like any war that is going on is far from over um you know, so I think that's where it kind of lends itself to being more about the relationship. But I think it's just about society. It can be about society in general, too, and just how, you know, you'll find that there's love on on all sides if you just open your heart and let it in. Nice. Just let it in. Uh, no, I, I, I like seeing that. Uh, one thing that I will say, I'll, I'll give this song its accolades for sure. I mean, it's it, it's a fine song. But one one thing that does kind of upset me is that when I listen to this album you know multiple times that just like as you did this song never stood out to me actually this song it was just because i felt like it was very cagey melody and song mm-hmm. structure that it just really did not overpower me it didn't stand out it's kind of a nice follow to um you know love's the only way but it wasn't powerful enough where it, it took me you know, it didn't make me feel like I was listening to a full story on this back end, like the beginning of this side does. Like, love's the only way. It feels like it is going to propel me into a Odysseus adventure almost. And mm-hmm. this song just doesn't overpower me, and it kind of just let me down. Oh, wow. Even going that far, huh? Uh, it it kind of let me down as, like, just the song. So it, it, uh, it didn't overpower me, and I, I was kind of sad about that because it is a good Cage song, it's just, you know, in the context of this album, it just did not do anything for me. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's not my favorite song. I think it's a little catchy. You know, the chorus, 
they do a great job with writing courses. I mean, they always have, um, you know, so I think that's got it going for it. But yeah, it's one of those like not every song in an album can be the best song. You know, and I, I think it's got its place. I, I didn't feel let down by the song. I didn't feel personally attacked, Jesse. But, you know, I, I still thought it was, you know, it wasn't my favorite song either. It's because you don't have a soul. No, I do not. Uh, <laughs> speaking of soulless, shall we just go dancing on this next track instead? Yeah, let's do a little dance dance. Track number 10. bit of a kind of a sweet piercing guitar to open this how do you feel about that mr guitar man yeah i'm ready for them to start singing mustang sally as this song keeps going on because that is like instantly what i picked up with that intro riff yeah i felt like i heard that one before and it's just like whoa but at least it sounded good i mean they they put on some good uh effects on it and it was very clean and piercing i i, I did appreciate it but yeah you're right it's like one of those things where you're like where did i hear this before Right. No, it's it's kind of cool in that sense. And um, this is another one where the, the bass guitar and the drums are kind of the unsung hero. They're just kind of there driving the whole song along and kind of supporting it. And you know, I think they deserve a lot of credit for this song. Yeah, and you know that's the that's the kind of a weird thing. There, I feel like this album really does focus more on that rhythm section uh, than it ever has, and so I do wonder if they were trying to reach a different audience uh, that, to kind of get going. And this song kind of maybe shows um, that they were trying to reach somebody, but I'll, I will give them some discredit that I don't know if I could really dance and dance at the same time uh, to the song. Maybe I could bounce around, but I don't know if I'm going to dance to this one. How do you feel? Yeah, I so I really like the verse and I really like the post chorus. I'm not a fan of that chorus or refrain when it just everything kind of drops out and he goes dance, dance, dance. Yep. I appreciate it for what it is, but it just it didn't vibe with me. But I think the rest of the song is actually really good. Like I love the chorus and that post chorus where they're just like, you know, I think those are cool and groovy and they've got a melodic vibe to them. I would actually dance to that. See, I like what you're talking about with the chorus because it kind of reminds me of some temples kind of stuff, but it's definitely all about Cage on that one. That one is that is their own kind of chorus right there. But uh, mm. what do you think about that reverse guitar, you know, little moment? I loved that little reverse guitar, but I'm, I really love experimental, uh, like, sounds that way, and it just sounds wonderful. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the reverse effect. Um, that probably goes back to listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. John Frusciante would always bust out the reverse effect. And yeah. That's kind of when I first fell in love with it. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a cool solo. Um, what I thought was also really great in that solo is the rhythm guitar. It's just, it's got such a great sound and... It just it kind of does its own thing. It almost bounces around. It's like da 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 da, you know. And it's it's kind of almost a second guitar solo without being a second guitar solo. You mean it's just a really good dancing rhythm? I mean, basically, it's it's getting that scratching and that really good striking in there. Yeah, that yeah. That, that I got to listen a little bit closer to that one because I I might have missed that one. <laughs> yeah, give that one a second spin and, and really listen to that rhythm guitar on that one, and you're gonna you're gonna be like, oh yeah, Ben was right. 
I would never say that, but uh, you know, <laughs> we'll give it a shot. We'll give it a shot. Yeah, all right. Just just give it a shot. That's all I can ask. So, let, uh, speaking of me giving it a shot, so the next song is called "What I'm Becoming." So I might be God, becoming you're an just adult. On, you are on with your transitions. Every song transitions into another song. You're just on it. See, I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting better. This podcast will <laughs> will be fantastic because of my transitions. My comedy will sink it. So. Hey, if we need to become a comedy podcast, we can become a comedy podcast. <laughs> yeah, should we just do some, uh, what is that, car car comedy or what was that? I have no clue what was on NPR. Sorry. <laughs> I hope a lot of NPR fans are not pissed off at me now because I I forget what, whatever that Angry radio show was. That was bang, bang. So track number 11 is What I'm Becoming. <laughs> So now we got what I'm becoming. So this one again, I feel like the rhythmic the section is absolutely wonderful to open up. You know, it's just kind of like that hit, 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 hit synth, a little bit in the background, and some soft vocals to kind of warm it up. To me, this is one of those songs musically where every instrument kind of carries its own part. Um, when I was listening through it, I was trying to see if anything, one thing stood out to me, and there was no one part or one instrument that really stood out. I think they all kind of do their own to carry this song. So it's a very balanced approach as far as that goes. You have everything kind of playing their role and not stepping outside of that. Yep, and that's kind of one of the, my notes that I wrote here uh, along with all those things that I just mentioned. I, I wrote almost subdued, meaning that they're all meant to be at the same level or like the same importance. And I really do mm-hmm. feel like this song, this song reminded me of John Lennon's Dream Number no. 9, very light, flighty, um, surrounded by a wall of sound of music basically. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of there's a lot of pain in this one too. Um, more so introspective when he looks inside because he's apologizing. I'm so sorry, honey, for what I'm becoming. Yeah, you know, I like that you say that because the way that I described this song in my head was it's an exhaustive song. Like, he's exhausted. And it's like almost all that mm, like yeah. pushing from the first start of the album up to this song. Um, it just feels exhausted. And this is a really good representation of that. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, you know, and it's just a, it's a simple song. Um, I do think the drums cut through the mix really well. Um, not that they stand out any more than any one thing, but they are kind of featured, you know, during those verses. Um, but, you know, otherwise, yeah, it's a simple song. He sounds exhausted. When I listen to it, I, I feel that pain. Like, I feel tired. I feel sleepy. And it's kind of got that listful, listless, dreamy state, like you said, especially in that chorus. Yeah, that the shimmering synth in this song and the the string section is just, it, just, it, it really fills in so nicely and, it just is is great background music that you can you know you can focus in on his vocals or that stuff, and you will still feel that uh, effect. I think definitely. So speaking of uh, feeling effect, uh, shall we smoke a little Tokyo smoke? Yeah, let's let's do a little Tokyo smoke. Oh yeah.
this one to me, it's the sound of it is just it's kind of eerie and creepy. It's kind of weird, um, and I don't really know how I feel about it, even after listening to it a bunch of times. Well, actually, Ben, I gotta I, I gotta stop this podcast for a second because I just want to tell you I just want to take a little Asian guitar with my sashimi because I thought the opening guitar riff was awesome, uh, like one of those kind of like built-in tunes uh, like it, uh-huh. it builds into it and then it takes you to a different world so it, it, it kind of on the same realm that you're thinking of i really do believe it's kind of darker than anything else that we've heard so far on this album other than the first song mm-hmm. it, it is a kind of a darker rough tune i yeah and when i first the first few times i heard it and even now listening through it again to me this song i don't want to say it doesn't belong on the album but it doesn't feel like it fits as well in the rest of the album yeah does it sound like an older album like i i really think it sounded closer to uh tell me i'm pretty i really feel like it's like dan auerbach stepped in here and re-recorded mm. the like produced the song excuse me and yeah. it, it just really sounds like it's one of those those type of songs off of the that middle age of cage hey that rhymed yeah i you know i I still, you know, even now, I don't know how I feel about this song. I, In some ways, I like it. In some ways, I, I just don't. And I think part of that, too, is I don't really know what the song's about. I listen to the lyrics. I read the lyrics. I really can't put my thumb on what this could be about. No, no, it's it's a lost piece, I think. I, I, I And it's kind of weird because the song itself sounds pretty pretty loopy as well along with the lyrics you know there's some spots where it's right channel then left channel then like a little bit upper left right channel it's kind of a nice way that it, it's produced that where it kind of pops around and it kind of drives you to that insanity almost like maybe that's what it is is maybe he had some bad weed in uh, tokyo and tripped like peter green did in the 60s with some acid you know right well then they need to get on a, a train to bangkok because that's apparently where the good weed's at. What about Bangkok? That's that's an ode to Rush for any Rush fans out there, by the way. Yeah, we're going to get some emails on that one, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> Two. One will be my dad. <laughs> He's sending both. <laughs> so speaking of of Tokyo in the in the rear view mirror, let's go to Goodbye. The final song on the album. Probably the heaviest song emotionally on the whole album as a, as a way to wrap it up um, you know it's just something you can feel it just right from the get go with those those piano chords coming in and, and it's just it's the piano and the words and there's not much else and he's just singing goodbye you know I just want to say this lyric that actually just stands out to me which is absolutely wonderful is uh, my pretty bird my favorite lullaby how do I become the thorn in your side? I think that right there just kind of tells it all. And then <laughs> you could just say you could just <laughs> you could just say goodbye after that, and that would be the song. I think that would be awesome. You know? Yeah. But you're right. You, it's all right. Goodbye. That that opening guitar part. I mean, it was guitar part. Excuse me. 
the sweet op- piano opening is just wonderful. I mean, it just kind of crawls all the way through the song. And uh, I love the female falsetto in, in during the, uh, like, the chorus. It is so yep. welcomed. And it's, like, the, I think the very first, like, female sound on this album and it it's it, it it fits so well with this it was just it was like an echo to schultz's voice it really was yeah they made a good use of a lot of things you know very subtly like there's the strings and some of the synth that's working in the background kind of creating an ambient noise and you can just kind of feel it it never takes over but it's it's there it just kind of hovers around the words of the song and they do the violin plucking the violin with the you know it just adds that those little bits extra bits of like emotion that you can really feel yeah i didn't get the synth part that you talked about but definitely that plucking of the violin is is part of the the haunting feeling of it and it's just it's it's bare and yet it's got a little bit of echo so it's like it's stinging you know and that's what's sweet about it yeah and and as the song begins to wrap up um there's some elements of um, the song Young and Beautiful by Lana Del Rey. Um, it was featured in the Great Gatsby soundtrack. And that song is also one of those really powerful emotional songs. And I, I kind of feel that same vibe and some of that bits of the violin and just kind of how it just plucks in there. You know, it's a simple sound, but it just it's so strong and dominating with, with the strings and everything happening in the background. No, that's, it, it's a great one. This... This is uh, reminiscent to me of the ending of the White Album with uh, uh, Good Night by Ringo. Uh, it's written by John, but it was sung by Ringo. It's got that beautiful orchestra in there, and it's soft-spoken. It's got a beautiful chorus in it. This is just so much more bare, though, and it feels more raw. And it's that's what's cool about it, the way that it ends, but it's, it is still elegantly played and produced. Absolutely. And actually, the lyrics are, are very wonderful. That lullaby line is very good, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I think this is a great song to wrap up the album. I'm not a huge fan of the trend. At least I feel it's a trend of a lot of albums ending on a quieter, sadder, more somber song. I'm not a huge fan of that. I, I like to go out with something that's a little more upbeat. Um, but I think this is the perfect song to wrap up this album and just kind of draw everything that we've been listening to to a close. Well, it's because you're a downer and you don't appreciate good music unless it has a guitar, <laughs> you slut. No, I, I, I agree. I do think that just like how you, you open an album, I think you should close an album with a little bit of a punch. I mean, um, this song wasn't too bad, though. I th- felt to end it uh, for what they put together. And when you listen it on vinyl... Listening from side two to the start of side two to the end of side two, it it flows pretty nicely, just as a kind of a you know bookends kind of a, a story. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. So I think we're on a, our grading system, don't you think? I think we are. So uh, let's let's hear your uh, final thoughts and your your string rating. Oh, you want me to go first? God, I damn do. It. Okay, cool. So. Um, Overall, I think um, this album was very good. It's it's catchy. I I definitely caught myself, uh, you know, having a couple songs in my head after listening to it about a second or third time. And uh, you know, a lot of the melodies I feel like are something that I would wish I could write myself. Um, when you look at, there are really not a lot of strong songs other than "Night Running," 
um, you know, I do I, I, I do appreciate um, House of Cal- House of Glass as well. Mm. I don't think there's a lot of strong songs on this that are like standout standout. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. So it is an actual blended album, I feel like. So it's meant to be kind of an arcing album. So that gets mm-hmm. a little more points in my book. But overall, if I were to throw this into my Spotify list or my iPod, yes, I still use an iPod at the gym, um, you, at least I don't think I could decipher a lot of these songs too much from other Cage songs, in, you know? into the fact where I don't really feel like this album is the strongest, but I feel like it's a big churn for them musically, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that. So I give this yep. one three sharp, three strings sharp on this okay. one. And okay. the main reason is is that I do believe that this album could have used a little bit better um, arranging, a little bit better, meaning the, the song arrangement. I feel like it could be broken up in the beginning I feel like the back end is just not as strong, kind of like we were saying there. These songs sound good, but I wasn't wowed by the second song on the second side after um, the, you know, hang on a second. The War Is Over is not that not that powerful of a song for me. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's uh, there could have been a little bit of a better mix with this. The, the song's mixture just needed a little bit more help I felt and sure it, it kind of left me wanting a little bit more from it because I feel like there are some good uh, possibilities with it if it was kind of just arranged a little bit differently but mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's just me being a psycho um, how about mm-hmm. you down in Chicago well I I really appreciate any time and I've said this before and I'll say it again anytime a band pushes into a new sound so I'm always a fan of that whether I like it or not initially sometimes it takes a while to grow but I'm not one of those like oh it sucks it's not it's not what I wanted or what I hoped it would be so I I always like that um I would agree I don't think there's a ton of standout standout songs on here um but what I do really like is the cohesiveness from start to finish even though each song is very unique in its own way they all kind of tie together in some way, you know, and they, they tell the story uh, of this relationship and pull elements and, um, you know, so I think it really creates a great story. Um, I think there's a lot of catchy songs in here. Like I, like I said earlier, they're really good at writing good choruses, good catchy choruses. And I think that's super important, you know, to writing good songs is, is having something that kind of catches your ear and, and keeps you humming the tune and keeps you singing over and over. So uh, my my final rating, or my current rating at this day and age, maybe it'll change, is <laughs> a four out of six strings, a four even out of six strings. Ooh, two half steps above me. Is that a full step? Yes, two half <laughs> steps is a full step. You're I'm learning. I'm glad you know physics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, physics. Yeah, I, I will say this, uh, is, is that... It does. It does leave me wanting a little bit more from it, but I do think that their venture of um, progressing past their regular sound while also keeping that melody in check is actually very impressive. And it it does sound new enough where it's not too bad. But I also don't. That's it, it, they feel that to keep to work. They work around the same structure or the same melody, and there's nothing wrong with that because they're trying to write catchy tunes, and that's that's mm-hmm. what you do as a musician, you know, and. 
that's fine, but it's not what I was kind of, I don't want to say looking for, but that's, it's, it's nothing that really impressed me too much with their songwriting, but they're lyrically, I will say, were much better in this uh, mm-hmm. rendition mm-hmm. than they have been in previous albums. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that about does it now, doesn't it? I think that just about wraps her up. All right. Well, I am Jesse here in Minneapolis. I got my friend Ben down in Chicago, and uh, we'll be going off the record right now. Ben, you have a lovely day. You as well. Goodbye, everyone. Peace. Thanks for listening, everyone. We really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts and interact with us on social media at On The Record Music and on Twitter at OTRM Podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.